When someone says to you, well, that's just how we do things around here, you can be sure that you've just stumbled into organizational culture in a big way. Today, how to recognize it, why it matters, and what it means for actual results. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 144. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahovia. This is a weekly coaching show to help us all be better leaders through improved communication, human relations, and personal productivity. And as you know, this is a show about the most important parts of organization, which are the people and how people can be effective and how we can best lead others. And one part of leadership that we all have experienced, in fact, we all experience it daily, and it influences everything that we do is the culture of the organization that we work in. And yet, culture is something that many times we don't talk very much about or even recognize, not only our own cultural dynamics, but the dynamics of the entire organization. And that is why I am so thrilled today to welcome not only someone who is uh, really an expert on organizational culture, but a dear friend of ours, and that is Dr. Kent Rhodes. Kent is a full-time practitioner faculty at the in the Department of Management at Pepperdine University, one of my alma maters, and in fact uh, was a professor of mine when I was uh, in school at Pepperdine, and both uh, Bonnie and I have had the privilege of uh, being in Kent's classroom uh, many, uh, many moons ago. It's actually been 10 years, Kent. Can you wow, believe that? Man, that's amazing. I can't, I can't hardly believe it. Um, he is also a consultant with the Family Business Consulting Group. Uh, he travels all over the world working with organizations. He's been a successful businessman. He is uh, someone who just is uh, so talented in so many ways. And I am so thrilled that you are here on the show, Kent. Welcome. Thanks, Dave. I'm very happy to be here. I am thrilled to have you, and I am so glad that you're the person that I'm having this conversation with, because I haven't talked much about culture on the show, even though it permeates everything we do, both in good ways and bad ways, and it, it, paints, it paints everything we see and interact with in organizations. And so um, here's an easy question for us to start off with. What is culture? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, great! Thanks now that I've thanks. that I've set you up as a as an expert and uh, all knowing wise one, tell us what culture is. <laughs> thanks, Dave. Yeah, the easy question. Yeah, you know, um, you, you know, the thing that you see a lot about what culture is is um, uh, you know, it's the way we do things around here. So if you're in a company, the organization, that's how we do stuff. Um, but culture is also what a great definition. <laughs> that really is what it is. Well, it is. I didn't make it up. You know, that's just sort of floating around out in the netherworld as a as a working definition. But it is. It really does describe exactly that culture is what we do. Hmm. But the thing is, there's a lot underneath that because it isn't just simply what we do. It's what it's you to look at what culture is. We have to look at why we do those things and what drives us to do things the way we do around here. Oh, interesting, interesting. So um, so let's maybe look at kind of deconstructing culture a little bit because okay. I, I think one of the reasons, for me at least, just thinking of myself, before I had some training and learning about 
organizational cultures, I just didn't even know where to start because you kind of like, it's one of those things kind of like we all sort of know it when we see it, cultural type things, but it's so hard to put our minds around. And I know you have, um, you're, you have uh, done some preparation and done some thinking on just kind of maybe three lenses we can look through yeah. culture on. So I'm wondering if maybe you could walk us through that and give us just just a, some vocabulary we could use. Yeah, you know, uh, probably one of the most famous gurus around um, culture and thinking about culture is Edgar Schein. Um, he lives in Northern California, um, still an active contributor to the field and has some wonderful ideas about things. And um, he says there are basically uh, three levels or, or lenses, as you say, you know, that there's the um, underlying assumptions in a place that mm-hmm. inform a culture. There are espoused values and there are artifacts. Um, artifacts are the things that you see. So um, when we talk about culture, sometimes that's what we we look for. It's, we look for things that indicate the there's a there's a cultural component um, at work. Um, but I wanted to, but probably be better to start at the very bottom of that around um, the 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 shared assumptions or the underlying assumptions. Hmm, okay. So um, part of that then, if if you go to a, a founder, for example, a founder of a company. Uh, you're going to find hints about the um, underlying assumptions and uh, what has has driven the culture of the place. I know we have talked before about, uh, and there's been lots of literature written about Trader Joe's, which is a mm-hmm. Southern California store. And for those of you that don't have a Trader Joe's nearby, um, they're known for several things. They're known, first of all, their products. They offer kind of global, unusual products that are very good, generally very healthy, and uh, at a moderate price. It's a very um, inexpensive place with really good food. And they're very relaxed and very friendly. I love Trader Joe's. I know. Me too. <laughs> so, and we everyone shop I know there that, all the time. I know. that You know, I have friends that in Manhattan that when they opened a Trader Joe's there about four years ago, they were so excited. And they said there was a line out the door for months. Oh, um, wow. after they, they initially opened there, but yes, they. Um, so for those for those of you that don't have a Trader Joe's nearby, I apologize, but but maybe one will come some some. We'll ship you some. Food. That's right, ship you some food. That's right, but um, uh, you know the founder who, not surprisingly, his name's Joe. Um, yeah. for Trader Joe's, uh, Joe's Joe Kalum, as a matter of fact, is his last last name. Um, he start, founded the company as a neighborhood uh, store in Pasadena, and. Because it was a neighborhood store, he greeted everyone personally that came into his first store mm. and and talked to people. He knew his customers, and everyone he hired mimicked that and did the same thing. So as they grew, that became something that became a cultural value within the company. And so um, it wasn't just an espoused value. It became a value that everyone actually believed and wanted to contribute uh, to the organization as it grew. And they wanted that to stay a key part of it. So they have. Every time they open a store, it doesn't matter where it is, that's one of the key cultural components. And so the artifact is you can walk into a Trader Joe's and know that someone's going to greet you, that you're going to, at the cashier stand, you're going to be talked to. They're going to ask you how you're doing. (laughs) And actually, if you don't respond, they're going to ask if you're okay. <laughs> Sometimes that's yeah. actually happened to me. Oh, um, for sure. In fact, um, I think I shared with you this earlier before we started recording, Kent, that Luke and I walked into our Trader Joe's this past week, yeah. and like two two employees called out his name. Hey, Luke, how you doing? I don't even know. Like, <laughs> I mean, I recognize them. I didn't even know they knew his name, but somehow we had had some conversation. And it's but if if you went into another 
like more traditional chain grocery store, that would never happen. happen. And in no. fact, if it did, I mean, speaking about culture, I would actually be a little bit skittish if people were calling out my son's name in a regular grocery store. I'm like, who are you and how do you know my son's name? But at yeah. Trader Joe's, it seems not only like appropriate, but like really cool. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. 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 So there's something about that. There's something about looking at how a founder has viewed things and then uh, looking at the, the authentic values that drive it. So one of the things I see happen sometimes in organizations is there's work towards, oh, let's talk about culture. Because it's become a, a major buzzword in, mm-hmm. in the business world globally. But what we realize is, is that you can talk about culture, and uh, but if it's not built on authentic values um, that the company or the organization actually holds, it's not going to be accurate. And so one of the things that I've seen over and over again, I'll go into a, an organization or a company, and I see posters that have been created about, here's our culture, and there's a list. Mm-hmm. And most of them sound wonderful. I also know that sometimes I'll go to someone uh, like administrative assistant person and say, tell me about these cultural traits. And he'll, or he or she will say, well, you know, number three is we, that with that one we do, but you know, I, I don't know where they came from and I don't know why, I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know why they're here. And that indicates to me that somebody in an executive office or maybe in a boardroom got together one day and said, Oh, we have to, we have to define our culture. Let's have a culture. And let's create a culture. And so they had this conversation and they come up with this list, but it's not authentic. It's not based on the values in practice. Mm. Um, and that becomes a really important piece of looking at culture and describing culture and changing culture. Uh, because just because you say these are cultural traits doesn't necessarily mean that those are the cultural traits that actually exist. And this is really interesting because I think, you know, just hearing you say that, Ken, I think that that might be some of the hesitation of some leaders to not engage in that cultural conversation. One, because a lot of people don't even know where to start. But secondly, we've been, a lot of us have been in organizations where we've seen the posters up on the wall and the mission statement over everyone's head when they walk in and have just been so jaded if i can even use that word by that and we, or or we've had friends or family members who have gone through that in their organizations and we think gosh i don't want to be that leader that says here's our four values or and and then have people sort of roll their eyes when they're oh, walking absolutely the that's building. that's just the last thing you want so and, but then where do we what do we do with that <laughs> yeah right well exactly exactly you know i think that you know one, one of the things that i do in, in my consulting work is i work with uh families that own businesses they're not small businesses. Yeah, my largest client family is uh, is fourteen billion annually, and they're a global company. Wow! And uh, and then it kind of there's another that's uh, uh, two billion. So so I mean, they, these are not small companies, and they have huge influence culturally. And one of the things in working with them that these are always fascinating to me is that for this process of having this conversation of let's identify your family's values that are driving the culture of the companies or the enterprise because there's always a connection. You would think that that would be a real simple 10-minute conversation. Oh, well, we know what those are. Right. But it's not. It tends to be something that uh, is revisited over time. And so we'll have the conversation initially, and people begin to understand the connection between their actual values and the values and the culture in the company. But we come back together again a couple of months later, and they 
realize that there's more depth to it. So there's a little bit of an onion sort of approach to culture. You can start uh, uh, taking off layers um, based on the artifacts that you see, mm-hmm. but you have to come back and getting to the real core of what the culture is takes some time. And here's an example. Um, um, in a lot of my uh, uh, work, I give an example of national culture. You would think that, you know, wherever you live in the world, you understand the culture you live in. Sure. But it, the culture that you live in is a little bit like uh, the air that you breathe. Another famous example of culture is, uh, in fact, there's a cartoon of a, of, a, of a woman musing about culture, what culture? And she's standing by a fishbowl and the fish is saying, water, what water? And, and so you know, it's like mm-hmm. you, live the, you live in a culture. It be, it's so natural to you. It's actually difficult to identify, which is why it takes time and conversation and thinking and, and, and peeling back that onion, the layers of the onion to get at what that really is. And so, so if you are part of the culture, it is that much more difficult or you're a part of the organization is that much more difficult to objectively see the culture. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, I can it, so it's, that, it's, yeah. it takes a little bit more work. And so that's one of the reasons why it, you can understand it'd be easy for a CEO or a senior manager to say, you know, let's just, let's two or three of us get in the, in the, in the, office upstairs and let's close the door and let's work real hard for a, you know for a few hours and let's knock out what our culture is going to mm. be and what our culture is and what it's, we want it to be and it not take because it's not it doesn't match what really is oh interesting I'm, I'm curious where have you seen that play out um either an organization you've worked with or an, or an organization you've been a part of that that maybe someone has tried to define the culture or it's or or just hasn't seen something that may seem very obvious to someone outside of the culture. Yeah, you know, I, I think there's I think there's several examples that I could give about that. I, I, I think that on the positive side of the example, um, I have clients in Asia who um, have a very large enterprise, family enterprise. And as we begin to talk through uh, the the family's values and um, the things that they know help inform their company and everything that they do, again, long conversations, they begin to realize that that at their core values um, included that they wanted to help their country be better established and to have a better standard of living. So it's very large, but they all agreed that that was part of their part of their values that they thought they wanted to help. And that was true before they were successful in their business. Mm. So it was a very unique approach, but you start looking at how their enterprise operates globally around the world. They, they it translates into a culture of care for their, uh, for their employees or their team members. It translates into uh, very specific plans for some of the communities, some of them very rural in uh, in some uh, second and third world countries, how they can help those areas um, uh, address hunger and disease. Hmm. Um, Fascinating. All as a part of their company, and so and and it's not a it's not a I mean it, it's a it is a very profitable corporation, um, and and it was it was really helpful for them to identify the family's values that actually drive the culture that everyone sees so so they are known for man you want to work for these people you want to work for this company because they do things right and not only are you going to be well taken care of but they do so with integrity ah and so how does them recognizing that and understanding that as a family 
then add value back to the things that they're already doing as a business. Right. So it reinforces, completely reinforces. So actually to take the earlier example of posters on the wall, Uh now they can articulate very clearly, here is our culture and here's why. It's linked to these values. And now they haven't created posters, but they could. And everyone that saw that that would go, that's exactly right. That's how we operate. Mm. And the result is... And I, I know this sounds really pie in the sky, but it really is true. People see that it's an authentic thing. It is a part of the culture. And then they take it on as their own. So it's not just the family's values. Um, it's the people that become a part of the organization voluntarily take on perpetuating that culture. And um, It's and not a you, me. It's an us. It, that's right. And the bottom line of it all is to get around it. This isn't all touchy-feely stuff it has direct impact on the bottom line. Mm. So um, uh, these people um, are extremely successful and they understand that their success is because they have identified what their culture is based on their values. Now, if you want to try to create culture, then finding out what those values actually are. And sometimes people have to take some time and it takes time. If there are values in place that are not really the values that you want, um, man, creating new values that are authentic can take some real soul searching and some some time and energy and conversation with others. And speaking of time and energy, I know you, you alluded to that there's also some examples of people not kind of seeing that or maybe being blind to the things that are part of their culture that maybe are good, maybe are bad. What's the time you've seen that happen where there's the awareness wasn't there that something was part of the culture or how we do things around here? Yeah, so um, uh, I, I know of... Uh, uh, an organization, a global organization. Again, I, I, I'm really struggling here to make sure I don't say names because yeah. I don't want to disparage anyone. <laughs> exactly. But, um, we and we've all made mistakes in organizations. So. Well, well, of we, course, we, we are all these people. Well, of, of course, <laughs> yes. of course. Um, but there was a, a, a very large organization that had espoused um, the value of uh, everyone is welcome here. We want everyone to know that this is a, a place that, no matter what your ethnicity is, no matter what your orientation, sexual orientation is what I mean, they did the typical HR. They said all the right things from an HR perspective. They mm-hmm. were like, yeah, we are a great place to work. But you know, if you got into the organization a little bit more in depth, what you would find is that there's a culture still of, uh, that didn't bear that out, that there was a very clear idea of, of, of who would be successful in that culture and who would not be successful in that culture. Uh, okay. And, um, and people, Sometimes we're there for a year or two before they discovered that. And um, and there was a lot of difficulty with that. Now, you would think, especially in the United States, well, there's legal action around that. But that's one of the subtleties of culture. People tended to not um, see it that way. They tended to just disappear. I mean, they would quit because they couldn't. Because it wasn't, uh, it wasn't who it wasn't what they said it was. Mm, interesting. It, and, it, it, and the other part of that is they also then those organizations don't always meet their numbers. Now, just as a side note, one of my pet peeves is that if a company, for example, is profitable, no one looks at other um, measures or metrics. Um, and in this particular case, had I believe, had they been authentic with their culture and been upfront with it and been actually uh, it borne out in day-to-day living, mm-hmm. their bottom line would have been far above what it currently was. Interesting. 
And so this is the difference between kind of that espoused what we say we are versus the underlying what we really are. Right. Exactly. Interesting. Interesting. So when covering that takes work and, and sometimes it's too hard. (laughs) So, yeah. And I would imagine in, in some, if not maybe most organizations, it, it's not a safe conversation to have necessarily. Right. And, and so tacitly people understand that. And so, um, it, it becomes a real, it can be culture can be something that either, um, it really, if you understand it and it is authentically based, can be such a great motivator for people and for your business and usually predicts a great deal of success. Mm. On the other hand, uh, it also could present, if it's not understood and is not authentically based, uh, could present some some real difficulties or if it's misunderstood. So if I get back to the example of like national culture again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I like to ask people, uh, well, let's take people in the U.S., in North America. Um, there's... Um, I ask them, so what are, what are some core U.S. cultural traits? And sometimes I get responses all the way from, well, everyone knows America doesn't have any culture. And uh, I know. I always laugh about that, too. I know what they mean. I understand what they the, mean. The people in Japan driving down the road just, just right. went off. And exactly. Did. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, Sorry. Yeah. So, yeah, we apologize about that for doing that to you. But, yes. And, we know, don't believe that, just so, right. <laughs> just so we're clear. Yes. Well, see, that's one of the difficulties about it. Because every anyone living outside of the U.S., oh, my goodness, they they can clearly identify. Oh yeah. Uh, America yeah. has a very strong culture and they can tell you what it is. <laughs> so, but the average American can't. Now to be fair, you know, it might be difficult for the average Japanese person also to describe their own culture. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whereas if there have been any Americans that have had any exposure to Japanese culture, they can define, they can, they can, they can describe or identify some artifacts mm. of, of some of that. It's easy to see what is different from what you are used to, or, or so as yeah. soon as you see the differences. Like if you move, um, I, I almost equate it to, and this is maybe an oversimplification, Ken. But when you move to a new organization, or you move to a different part of a country, or a different a, a different home, you see the differences very clearly when they are there. But yeah. then when you become part of that organization or that culture, then you don't see the differences quite as uh, as apparently as you maybe you did in the past or at one time. I think that's exactly right. And uh, you know, so one of the art one of the artifacts of American culture that very few Americans actually ever identify. When I have these conversations, and I've had this conversation with with literally hundreds of executives, and um, I've never had anyone say one of the cultural main cultural traits of Americans is that we're very patriotic. Um, because of that, because they don't think twice about. Um, standing up and singing the national anthem before a any kind of sporting event, which, by the way, is a uniquely American um, practice, although lots of other countries have adopted it. And I, when you were telling me about that before, I did not know that. Yeah. I mean, just to show, just to reinforce your point, I, I just assume that every every country did that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's so um, interesting. And um, and even in um, musical venues, um, you know, we we talked about here in Los Angeles at the Hollywood Bowl, which is a very famous venue, that you always stand up and sing the national anthem of the United States before right. there's a concert, and uh, and you know Americans don't think anything about that. That's normal for Americans, but anyone looking outside in would think, well, that's really unique. <laughs> they might even think that's very strange. <laughs> yeah, I love to use the word um, unique. Um, yeah. But it's, that's also, you know, I don't mean to talk politics here, but it also even even spills over a little bit into uh, most of the world looks at American culture as being, a, and would describe it as a violent culture. 
Hmm, interesting. But I think the average American, you know, doesn't see it that way or experience it that way. That doesn't mean it's not. But, you know, the the uh, whole Second Amendment um, uh, debate that goes on about, mm-hmm. you know, the right to bear arms in the United States, which has a very significant cultural roots um, in the in the country, um, is translated differently on the outside. And so that's one of the things. And for Americans to understand the impact of how that's translated it would be helpful to them um, to be able to understand that there are different interpretations and that sometimes that when there are possible negative implications to culture, um, that you might want to address being able to get that outside looking in perspective is really important. And mm. I, and I would say to leaders that want to change a culture in an organization, that's one of the first things that they have to do is identify what the real culture is based on the authentic values in place. And then do certain things to, um, give that outside looking in perspective. Sometimes that may be hiring an outside person, a consultant to help do that. Sometimes it may be, interviewing um, other people that have access to your company that may be suppliers or maybe uh, 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 customers to get that perspective is really good feedback about Mm. um, understanding where there might be a gap in what the culture actually is and where you would really like to try to move it over time. You know, that's such um a, That's such wise advice, you know, and that's something that almost any leader can do, even if within an organization. Yes. So here's how my team maybe is perceived that I may not be understanding. I I know, as you were saying that, Ken, I was thinking back to one of the early jobs I had. I worked for an organization that just um, espoused and really did value employees tremendously and the opinions of employees and um, and anytime there was an employee customer issue, the company always sided with the employee. You know, oh, interesting. Uh, it was it was it, it was great as an employee. Yeah, right. Um, I realized after working there for a few years, customers read that as they're stubborn, and sometimes would leave because of that. If there was ever an issue right. over a dispute of something, that wow, you know, these people just are not willing to, you know not willing to reason. And so that was a really, but I didn't, it took me a while to kind of figure that out of talking to customers. And eventually someone just kind of said it like, you guys are really stubborn to me well, one day. And, and I would say probably even translated into, you know, the next step of that, you're really stubborn and that, you know what, as a customer, I really don't matter to you. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, w- I might take my business elsewhere and, and that's a cultural trait that's not going to help you in business. So we can, um, so hopefully most leaders don't get to that point, yeah, okay, which is yep. like your customers in your face saying, you know, you, and, and, and actually that's a gift for, for someone to say that it is um, as uncomfortable as it is to hear, but most people won't, most people will just leave or go do business elsewhere right. or go work somewhere else. So you mentioned starting off and just having some dialogue and talking and engage. What are some things, you know, if, if I'm a leader and I'm running a team of people, or maybe if I'm running a small business, um, where do I start? So do I just kind of start going out and asking people, do I get someone to come help me with that? What's what's the best way to begin that process? Well, you know, I, I do think that getting someone from the outside is always beneficial. If they're skilled and they know what, and they, they know what, you're, what, what, what the questions need to be asked, mm-hmm. that's always valuable. And I've never experienced that as being anything but a good investment. You know, sometimes people are, are nervous because bringing someone inside from the outside in is expensive, or at least they think that it is. But I always look at it as being um, a, a great um, investment in your company, what you're doing. Um, so 
whether you do that with an outsider or not, having the conversation with your team that ask questions like, what, what are our real goals here? What, what is it that we really are wanting to accomplish? What, what is it that we see as our vision for what we're currently doing? Not the vision of the company, but what is it for what we're currently doing? And what are the tactics that we typically, without even thinking about it, that we have that we engage in to uh, deliver these things? Mm. And then to um, even dig a little bit deeper and look at uh, what are the processes that we have in place that uh, for interacting with each other? Um, at what point do we um, encourage different thinking and questions? And at what point do we discourage it? And there may not be any hard, fast rules to that. In fact, if it's a cultural trait, there won't be. It'll, there'll be things that people just know, you know what, it's time that at this point, I can't go there. Whatever, whatever it is, they just know. And it's that tacit kinds of stuff. And so one of the questions that's really good to ask if you go down another layer is, you know, what are the ways that we interact with each other that we either won't or can't talk about? Mm. Um, and if you can get to where people begin to answer those kinds of questions, then you start getting at cultural drivers and hopefully positive ones as well. But if you wanted to try to change a culture, that would be the starting place. Those are difficult conversations to have. I can imagine. Yeah. And I, I, I can see what you're saying about the value of having someone else engaged in that process yes. with you because as um, as a leader or manager having that conversation, that would be a really difficult conversation to have. Well, it, and, and as I indicated earlier, it doesn't always happen in one conversation. Sometimes there it, it emerges over a period of conversations. Mm. Um but to help people understand that you know there, there's benefit to that, it's it's not about you know it's not about uh, rooting out uh, some person or a group or uh, even just necessarily a behavior that you want to change as a part of the company or the team. Um, it's about you know how do we move literally move the culture, which is a very big thing, um, and to also be um, intelligent. Um, enough, and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense at all. That people are not intelligent. All people that I know of in business, they are very intelligent, um, and especially if they have a desire for leadership, I find them to be very intelligent. But there's a, there's an understanding though um, of being able to dis- differentiate between what culture is and how that drives the way we do things, and um, climate, which is you know what it's that climate is weather. So even though it might get chilly outside, and I'm going to put a jacket on. There, there, there's not culture as a part of that. Um, and sometimes uh, organizations especially confuse the idea of climate or temperature uh, with with actual culture. I think I know what you're saying. Give me an example, though. What would be a situation where an organization might be going through a, a different climate, but yeah. culturally things would be similar? Yeah, I, I think that you know, many companies around the world uh, during this economic downturn that that started um, several years ago in 2007 um, experienced what I would call a climate change um, that really caught them off guard, really impacted their business, actually impacted some of what they were doing. I mean, so they either had to uh, to let people go, let employees go, they had to restructure financially. They, I mean, lots of things. Some businesses went out of business. Um, but those were in response to um, uh, to what I would call climatic things. That, that was that, that was a, a very uh, stormy climate, and it required them to take action that mm. actually still had nothing to do with well, or it, it, culture 
didn't necessarily, that wasn't, culture was not the, the issue. It was, there was something from the outside that was causing those companies to need to respond differently to, in a temporary way. Mm. But the core culture stayed in place. So if we took uh, Trader Joe's as our example okay, here in yeah. Southern California, um, if something happened that impacted distribution in the grocery industry here in Southern California, right. that would affect every grocery company. Although the cultural things, the way that Trader Joe's does things versus other companies would stay intact, yep. those kinds of decisions, those processes. Yep. But but that's a perfect example, actually, quite literally when I say climate, you know, the, I've known uh, with Trader Joe's actually. Um, uh, you know, it's in the in the United States and North America. It's been a very very rough winter, a very long, cold, hard winter for for many um, people in the in the states. And um, I know of a story of a Trader Joe's in uh, the Midwest uh, that literally because of ice for days and days and days and days. In fact, it was in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, the Trader Joe's there. There's ice for days and days and days, and and people would go to Trader Joe's and and the shelves were empty which was not their business model at all, but it's because they couldn't get supplies in. And yet the way they do things never changed. And so, you know, even though there wasn't much to buy, people were greeted with the same <laughs> enthusiasm and friendliness hmm. um, and saying, and, you know, and saying, oh man, we, did, we, don't, we can't get supplies in. So that may be, I think that's a clear example. It may not be a very deep one, but it, that's exactly what the difference is. Oh, fascinating. So... You know, I forgive my ignorance on this, Ken, because I just am not savvy on this, but I'm wondering, you know, say I work in a large organization, I manage a team of people. Yep. Um, what resources, I mean, that might be a little more difficult for me to maybe necessarily have someone like a consultant come in. What in a large organization, what should leaders be looking to as far as resources to say, hey, you know, I've got this team of people, I want to either... Um, know my culture, or maybe even start to think about how I would shape it in such a way that's going to be of real value. Where are the p kinds of places I should be thinking about turning? Is it HR? Is it, um, uh, is it another leader in the organization that you know maybe we have a mentoring relationship with? Where, where's, the, where's the things that we should be looking at? It's, it's, it's all of those, um, but, but I would recommend that first that there'd be a conversation with another leader in which you can start to, to bounce off ideas about, here's what I'm thinking. Here's, here's what I wonder if we should, uh, how, how we might approach culture in our organization. HR typically is a very good resource around these areas. Um, uh, if not as a department, uh, there may be a couple of individuals there. It, even better if uh, those HR professionals may have an OD background, which is organizational development. Mm -hmm. um, that's a... a very much an up-and-coming uh, way of thinking that sometimes is housed in HR departments that actually looks at change and culture, and they're there. So these people are actually specifically trained for that. So, but so that's what I would say. I would say the conversation begins, uh, and you might build coalition around that. So slowly bring in other people into the conversation and expand it. I think the mo the the biggest piece of advice I've sort of already alluded to is that I would say. Give it lots of time. Uh, you'll start the conversation. Set aside time, even if it's monthly, just to say, you know, let's let's see. We're having culture conversations here, and in the process, I know of co large companies that have uh, found uh, articles or books um, that they bring in and they read together and then discuss, and that's a very safe sort of a thing to do. Hmm. Um, 
And so uh, I would even recommend that you do a search, just do a Google search on some of those things. Um, and uh, Harvard Business Review has got a couple of really great articles um, on culture that would be easily accessible uh, that you could purchase and, and go through with a, several people as a team. So I'll uh, get those from you and we'll put it on the okay. show notes yeah, as, as links. And yeah. is, is there, I, I know, um, I, I know you mentioned Edgar Shine up front. He yes. has a great book on culture, yeah. but it, it is a tough book. Um, it is. As it's, far as it's, it's deep. It's very academic. <laughs> it yeah. is. Are there, are there books that are out there that get people thinking about this kind of cultural thing that are really good, practical, accessible, but solid books and resources for people to start kind of thinking about this or want to get more into it? There are, and I'm going to totally blank at the moment on them, but we can we can include them as we a will. list as well. We we'll will do that absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so here's here's a question I didn't prepare you for. Not that I actually we didn't prepare for any of these questions, but um, but I didn't give you a heads up on this. But you know, one of the things I really love about you, Kent, Kent, is that you um, you even when I can tell you disagree with an organization or with people, that you just find a way to um, appreciate their position and how they come at things. And that strikes me as really a, um, a an amazing trait of how you honor different cultures. And even if you don't necessarily agree with someone or agree with an organization, that you're very able to see kind of those, those um, understand and appreciate another person's position. And I think that's one of the reasons you're so successful at the work that you do, of really being able to see that very genuinely about people. And I'm wondering what it is that you've done as a business person, as a professor, that's that's maybe brought you to that place, either consciously or not, that you are just can can really be so welcoming and open and really understand different perspectives, even if you don't necessarily agree with them yourself. How about that for a loaded question? Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> well, well, first of all, thank you. That's very generous. I I I, I would love to come across that way. I you um, do. You well, do. thank you. Um, um, you know, I, I think the answer that I would say is that I learned a long time ago that I needed to work on myself, um, that I, you know, I discovered that uh, working on other people wasn't always successful. <laughs> and so, mm. um, and then realizing that the more aware I became of what was motivating my responses or my reactions, I became curious about that. I became curious about how I was reacting and responding and, and looking at where that resided and, and then modifying how I framed th those experiences so oh, that interesting. when I, when I uh, experienced or bumped up against uh, individuals or even organizations that um, were very different from held values that were very different from mine to understand and look at it from a frame of um, it, that, that those, those values are in place for very good reasons. Obviously I don't have all the data to understand why they're there in place. And so developing some curiosity around, trying to understand that mm. not only maybe helped that relationship, um, but it also helped me. It helped me not be, not feel quite so critical about it um, and not so motivated to immediately react against that um, and to leave some space for people to grow. So mm. I think that that would probably be the other piece of it is like, you know, uh, generally um, people, especially that are interested in leadership are interested in their own growth, which is yeah. appropriate. It's really rare that I've run into someone that I have walked away saying, you know, they're just not interested at all. They do exist, but I don't find that to be the common experience. You know, but both you and I are students of organizational behavior yeah. and organizational leadership. And I have found the, and I wonder if this is true for you too, um, 
that it's both challenging having that perspective be and, and some of that understanding and that training that you walk into an organization or work with a group of people and you do see the complexity more so than maybe the average person does, a little more of that. Um, but also really appreciate how it is that people got to where they are and maybe understand that and, and validate people even a little bit more. And I, I've, I've found both of those things to be um, both both interesting but also challenging at the same time to walking into organizations and seeing people of uh, kind of experiencing those at the same time. Yeah, I, I think that that's right. And I don't ever see people or organizations as being completely entrenched. Uh, you know, I, I see them as a snapshot in time and anything is possible in, mm. in moving forward. And so, you know, my, my goal then becomes, you know, what is the best way I can be helpful to, to help get them to a different spot if that's what they're looking for. And if they're not looking for that, I try to help them understand that there are different spots that they could be. They're not entrenched. They're not stuck. Uh, that there are things that they can do um, to, to move to a, a more productive, even healthier spot for their, for their business and for their families and for their lives. Cool. What a, what, a, what a great place to leave us. Ken, thank you so much for your wisdom. I, uh, I so appreciate it. And I'm, uh, I'm so glad to have you here in studio and uh, uh, share your thoughts on culture with us. It's, it's just great. Totally my pleasure, Dave. Kent Rhodes is a professor at Pepperdine University and also consultant with the Family Business Consulting Group. Thanks again, Kent. Man, I love talking with Kent. He's got so much wisdom and experience. I, I could talk with him for hours and have on a few occasions. So thank you so much, Kent, for coming on the show and for your wisdom around culture. And I am hopeful for all of us that this conversation gets us all looking at culture in a, with a little bit more strategy in the coming days in our organizations and thinking through what are some things that we could do from this conversation that would give us more insight on the culture we have now, how we can align with it, and then also what things we may choose to do in our leadership roles that will adjust culture and influence culture so that we really do get the best results possible for the organization. And it's as easy and as enjoyable for people to be able to get there as possible. So I would love to hear your comments on this as well. So we have put the show notes up at coachingforleaders.com slash 144. That's a great place to join the conversation as well. So scroll to the bottom of the page there. You can uh, jump in on the conversation. And if you have comments, questions, or feedback on anything related to this show uh, or any of the shows that have been produced in the past or future shows, you can go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. That is the best way to get in touch. And uh, you can also call in a question or comment anytime. Uh, for those of you, especially here in the States, uh, 94938LEARN is the phone number. That is on the feedback website. Um, but the feedback link will get you to lots of other ways to get in touch as well. Hey, uh, just speaking of resources um, and ways to connect, a few resources I've mentioned in the past on the show, but things I'm doing some new stuff with recently, um, going back to the show we did on personal knowledge management uh, a couple of months ago, uh, that show, you know, I'm actually, I have to say, I'm pretty surprised. Uh, it was episode 129. It was one of the most commented, shared, tweeted, Facebook shares uh, shows that we've done. And it was one of those that, uh, you know, was kind of a, 
I don't want to say it was an afterthought, but it was one of those episodes that we didn't put as much planning into as normal. Bonnie and I got together and talked about some of the uh, topics we thought would be helpful to people. And it turned out personal knowledge management was one that was really popular. So we may do some more on that in the future. But I wanted to mention a couple of the things that I mentioned during that show was I'm going to, was going to be doing a better job of cataloging the things that I'm finding online that I thought would be helpful to other people. And so I have been doing that through my Pinboard account, which I talked about on that episode. Uh, you can access that. It's all public at coachingforleaders.com slash pinboard. And anytime I find anything online that's an article, a website uh, that I think would be helpful to other folks, I catalog it up there. It's all tagged. It's searchable. So if you're looking for a resource on things that we talk about on this show, uh, and, and also things we don't. I mean, I catalog everything that I find on the internet up there. That um, So if you're looking for something random, it might be a place to start too. Uh, but that's a, a resource for a lot of the, the things that are informing my thinking and the reading I'm doing online. And I really do try to curate the best of the best that goes up there. Uh, so I don't put much up there on any particular day, but the database has grown pretty big now in the last few months. So check that out if that's something that'd be helpful to you. And for those of you who are Twitter users, I am sharing a lot of things on Twitter that I find on a regular basis, most of which related to this show, but not everything. Uh, so if you are looking for just some good resources, tools to read during the week, Twitter is the place that I am sending out uh, that in the largest number on largest number, not the best English. And uh, for those of you who don't use Twitter, Facebook, also I'm putting links up on Facebook pretty much daily for things that I find that I just think are either funny or cool or would be helpful to the audience here. So check those out. Easiest way to get there, coachingforleaders.com slash pinboard will get you there to that uh, database or coachingforleaders.com slash Twitter will get you over to my Twitter account and uh, you can just search for Coaching for Leaders on Facebook if that's best on your end. And uh, hey, thank you this week. Speaking of connections, to those of you who had subscribed to the weekly update and those folks are Derek Hartley, Tomer Segev, Tracy McLaughlin, uh, someone named Lorraine, who didn't leave last name. Lorraine, hi. Nice to uh, get connected with you. Shelly Clan, Archer Dawson, Christina Mariani May, Johnny Matlock, Tareen Duplessis, Sean Newman, Andrew Devakian, hope I said that right, Andrew, Kevin Carter, and Megan Lawrence. Thank you to all of you for hopping on to the weekly updates. Every Wednesday, I send an email, uh, Wednesday afternoon time here in the States, and it is an article with something that'll be helpful to you around communication, human relations, and your own personal leadership. And also, you'll also get the notes from every podcast episode at the bottom of that email each week. So if you'd like to get a regular update with the links, the resources, things we talk about on the show, you can subscribe to that at coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. You'll also get access to my 10 leadership book list that will help you get better results from others. It's a great reading guide that I've talked about many times on the show before. So check that out if that would be helpful to you coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And also a huge thank you this week to Agata Mizeniak, hope I'm saying that right, Agata from Poland, and LC down in Brazil for the really kind reviews on iTunes. Thanks uh, to both of you for taking a few minutes to write a kind review about how the show has been helpful to you. I am so grateful for you doing that. That is just huge 
for people finding this show and this community and the community continues to grow. So thank you to both of you for that. And LC had asked, he, he Elsie's pretty observant. Elsie uh, had asked, hey, why isn't there an episode five? I see this whole list of shows, 144 shows, but there's no episode five. Why is that? Well, LC, you have, uh, you have noticed something that most people haven't noticed. There is no episode five. There was. But uh, the title of that episode, as well as what I talked about, turns out was a trademarked term by someone else. And <laughs> they reached out and said, can't use that trademark term. So yeah, I just took the show down. And at some point, I will redo that show. So that might be a fun show to do one of these days. Uh, it, was a, it was a fun topic. Just need to find a different term for it. <laughs> anyway, hey, I hope you have a wonderful week and uh, look forward to connecting with you online. Have a great week. Take care.